couple quick announcements, and we will get right into our text together this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 6 again this morning. John chapter 6, we'll be picking up in verse 31 as we're making our way through the gospel of John in a series entitled Come and See. John wrote his gospel, his theological and historical biography in such a way that people from all sorts of different backgrounds would be able to read the life of Jesus, hear the life of Jesus, and see him for who he was, hear him for what he claimed himself to be. Really, the Gospel of John, it, it forces us to make a decision about Jesus. John doesn't leave us any room to kind of him and haw around who Jesus was and claimed to be. So we don't take a formal offering here at Neighbors Church. If you want to give or if you're making Neighbors Church your home, I want to continue to remind you guys that are members of this church or you've committed to this church, this is our swing for the fences year. We're basically two full quarters behind as far as being able to grow numerically and financially, which isn't a big deal. God is with us. But if you're committing to this church, you can give by going to sdneighbors.church slash give. You can sign up for a giving account there through our PayPal, or you can text an amount to Neighbors Church. You text Neighbors Church and then the amount to 77977. I'm just going to pray for our giving. We're praying that we would be a culture of generosity. 5% of what you give goes to social justice initiatives and 5% of what you give goes to future church plants out of Neighbors Church as our family of churches grows here in the city and prayerfully beyond. Father, we just now take these gifts that you've given us this provision you've made for us, and we ask that you would multiply it, that it would bring glory to your name, and that you would multiply the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through our generosity. And I pray, Lord, as these saints generously give, that you would meet them out of your riches, not only materially, Father, but shape their souls. Grant to them great reward in the kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Second quick announcement is... Communities, very important. The way we're structuring communities for the fall is we only have a few communities and you need to take the responsibility to get plugged into a community. We have our community leaders here this morning. They'll be inviting you to come into a community. And through the fall, we're going to start doing a book called Reappearing Church by Mark Sayers. This is a great time for you to jump in and get the DNA of who Neighbors is and this family of churches that we're a part of really across the globe now. We run in circles of churches from the northwest corner all the way down here to San Diego, all the way to Australia. And so it's really important that you get involved right now at the beginning of this church plant and let that DNA get in deep because in January of 2021, our prayer is to be able to begin to, begin to multiply our groups. But for now, go to sdneighbors.church, our website, click on community. That will take you to a little form that you can fill out. That will be emailed to somebody and they will get back to you within 48 hours and they will plug you into a group. Those groups we hope are going to grow substantially large numerically through the fall so that then we can partition off and multiply in January. Communities, huge value. Email them right now, today, sdneighbors.church slash community. And then the final announcement is, so you can stay on track with where we're at. We are looking for buildings. None of the schools are open. I'm working with a church in South Park right now. This place would be legit. If we can get into it, it would seat like 400 so we could obey protocol. 
stained glass windows, wooden pews, the whole thing. It would be amazing. So be praying for a building for us. But for now, Ward Canyon Park, 10 a.m. So you can know what we're doing. Go to sdneighbors.church, and you can sign up for our weekly. You'll get a weekly email that explains where we're at, what we're doing, why we're doing it, or you can follow us on Instagram. One more prayer for the study this morning. Let's open our hearts to God's word and allow the gospel of John to transform us and shape us. Father, you have not brought any person here this morning by mistake. You literally have a very specific thing that you want to speak into the life and soul of every person that's hearing this message right now. And so we, by pure faith, just open ourselves to the teaching of Jesus. We want to be shaped by Jesus, held by Jesus, empowered by Jesus. And so may you have your way with us. Make us soft and able to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you guys remember this from this last fall, but back, or from at the beginning towards the end of summer, I guess, back in August. Do you guys remember that there was like this little ruckus about UFOs? Do you guys remember that? You know, does anybody remember the UFO thing going on? Yeah, I mean, why not? 2020, throw in some UFOs and let's just see what happens. This was a little bit more than your general kind of ET enthusiast reporting sightings. Uh, what made this unique was the level of authority and expertise of the witnesses that were being sent to see UFOs. No less than the Deputy Secretary of Defense, David Norquist, he was assigned oversight of an unidentified aerial phenomenon task force implemented by the Pentagon. This is like no joke. So generally, UFO talk, we usually kind of associate that with folks that spend a lot of time in their mom's basements into the wee hours of the night drinking bangs by the gallon and reading obscure articles off of Reddit. But if, the, if it's the Pentagon and the Secretary of Defense, that's like a whole new level of credibility to these sightings, right? There's a big difference between like a 45-year-old man from Elko, Nevada out there in his like Captain America pajamas saying that he just saw a UFO compared to a highly trained fighter pilot with 2015 eye vision reporting back to the Pentagon. Does that, does that, that adds a little more weight to the witness. The testimony of these professionals, these highly trained elite humans, adds a little more legitimacy to the possibility of the truth of an event. Does all that make sense, what I'm saying? All right, what does that have to do with Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus made outlandish claims he made ludicrous claims about himself. Remember, as we talked last week, Jesus did not present himself as just one among many spiritual gurus, as one among many options in a wide-ranging list of belief systems. He didn't leave room for that. Jesus said he perfectly did what his father was doing, and he did that perfectly all the time. Jesus said, he gave eternal life to whoever he willed. Jesus said he was the judge of all humanity. Jesus declared himself to be equal with God, God among humans. And Jesus did not make these claims in a void. He recognized that any lunatic could declare crazy things about themselves, but that did not necessarily make it true. What Jesus did is he put forward these witnesses these testimonies to the truth of his claims. And he didn't corroborate with these kind of odd fringe fanatics. In fact, Jesus actually said, 
I don't need to give you guys human testimony to prove to you who I am. What he did, though, is he brought forth the heaviest of heavy-hitting testimonies, as we're about to explore here. And I want you guys to understand something from the very beginning of our journey through this passage in John. Jesus brought forward the witnesses to legitimize his claims because of his love for you and me. Remember, Jesus of Nazareth came to accomplish redemption, salvation for humanity. He came to give eternal life to all who believe. And Jesus, more than anything, wanted to substantiate his claims for the sake of his hearers to help them believe, even his opponents, even his enemies. Jesus was always stacking the deck towards belief because he didn't come to condemn the world but to save it. So here's our roadmap for the text this morning. We're going to do a brief summary of the three key witnesses that Jesus put forward to substantiate his claims. Then we're going to look at why we would continue in unbelief despite the stacked deck towards faith. And then we're just going to close with a couple concrete questions and practices that help solidify us in our walk with Jesus. The witnesses, why some will never believe, and the practices of believers. The witnesses, why some will never believe, and the practices of believers. Beginning in John chapter 6, verse 31, the very first witness that Jesus brings forth is John the Baptist. John chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus, now speaking to his opponents about his radical, ludicrous claims of deity. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John... And he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Witness number one that Jesus brought forward for his opponents to consider was that crazy camel hair wearing, locust eating, wild eyed John the Baptist. You guys remember when we were studying the life of John the Baptist back at the very beginning of the Gospel of John? I love John the Baptist. I feel like he and I are like soulmates. If I could just grow my beard out huge, I would just love to be a modern-day John the Baptist. He was such a lunatic. He was so radical. He was so popular. John had been this wildly popular teacher whose entire message there out in the deserts of Judea pointed to Messiah, to Jesus, as the long-awaited Savior. And people were literally from the cities flocking to hear him. But John's message of repentance, he called all humanity to repentance. That message of repentance was too much for the Roman ruling class, whose sexual escapades were comparable to today's sexual escapades in our culture, in our ruling class elites. And John was calling all of them to repentance. And they were really upset about it. So they ended up imprisoning him and eventually beheading him. John was a light that many had rejoiced in, but only for a short time. Witness number two that Jesus brought forth to corroborate his claims of deity was the works that he was doing. The very miracles that he was accomplishing, Jesus said, These are a testimony that the Father indeed has sent me to accomplish redemption for humanity. Verses 36 through 38. Jesus says, I have testimony 
weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Jesus encouraged those who doubted his words to look to the works that he was accomplishing. The healings, the miraculous feedings, as we're going to see next week, the raising of the dead, in John chapter 11, Lazarus, and then Jesus' eventual crucifixion and literal historical resurrection. These were all proofs that he was who he said he was. And so Jesus was saying, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm accomplishing, believe and be saved. Then the final witness that Jesus put forward was that of the Father himself, but not a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father through the Bible, through the scriptures. Verse 39, he tells his opponents, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus was trying to get them to see that the very scriptures that they had, these religious folks, these religious scholars that opposed him, he was trying to get them to see that the very scriptures they had devoted their life to studying were actually all pointing to him. All of the Old Testament is an ongoing, consistent story that prophesied of and promised the coming Messiah. And Jesus was saying, look, if you won't listen to John the Baptist and his witness out there in the deserts, and if you turn a blind eye to the miraculous works that I'm doing among you, then turn to God's word, because the very thing you base your whole life on, it's all pointing to me. It's all testifying about me. And despite all of these incredibly heavyweight witnesses, to Jesus' claims, some would still refuse him. To this day, many still refuse Jesus of Nazareth as Savior of the world, Creator and King. Verse 40 is very ominous. Verse 40, yet, despite all these witnesses, John, the works, the entirety of the Bible pointing towards me, yet, verse 40, you refuse to come to me to have life. Why? Why? Why will so many, despite the weighty words of these witnesses, John the Baptist, the works, the word of God himself, why do so many refuse to come to Jesus to have life? And the answer is this. It is a matter of what we love and what we worship and what we desire most. Verses 41 through 44. Jesus says, I don't accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you don't have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you don't accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? 
one of the roots, one of the roots, there's thousands of roots, but one of the roots of unbelief is when we have a greater love for something in this world, we have a greater love for something than a great love for God. Unbelief, one of the roots of unbelief, is when we have a more intense, more devoted, more worship-filled love for something above and beyond our devotion and worship and love of God. Unbelief is actually fueled by a deformed desire. And this deformed desire deceives us. And so we base our identity, who we are, we base our value and our worth. And in the case of these opponents, we base our worth on what humans, what each other say is valuable, rather than on what God says is valuable. In other words, we seek glory from others rather than from God because we believe that glory and honor and praise from humans is actually going to do more good for us than honor and glory and praise from our Creator. This is what sin has done. It's twisted and deceived our hearts and deformed our desires and malformed our worship and our devotion to where now we look at created things, particularly humans, and we say, if I can have my value in you, then I will be full and complete and whole. And that desire for value from each other replaces the value that God looks down upon us saying, I created you, I made you, I gave you breath, I died for you. Hear my voice saying, I love you. But we replace God's love with this desire for false love from other humans. Everybody tracking with that? This is so important that you grasp just this one little piece this morning. We, when we choose honor or glory, from humans above God, we refuse Jesus. And so (laughs) for most of us, we're not saying, I refuse you, Jesus. I say no to you, Jesus. What we actually do is we say, Jesus, I want you to set up my life where I receive honor and glory from other humans. But in so doing, we're refusing Jesus in some measure. We're very sneaky with our sin and how we do this. We're very sneaky with how our hearts move around Now, Jesus himself was a perfect human, and he says he did not receive glory from humans. Jesus did not receive honor from humans. Remember, he was one with his father. And so Jesus was a return to the Garden of Eden. He lived out of that sense of perfect value and a sense of love with his father that was continual to where he didn't need praise and honor and respect from other humans. He received it from his father, and what his father did, he did perfectly. And Jesus' teachings are so radical because he came and he invited you and I to no less than that, to return to the garden, to receive honor and love and adoration and a sense of security and joy and peace from our Father, apart from what anybody else in this world says about us or doesn't say about us. But for some, the lures, the lures of a life that is deemed worthy by the standards of Instagram followers— It's just too compelling for us. We're just too dragged in by the opinions of other people, and we just have to have honor and glory from them. And that is a root, that is a root of unbelief that causes us to actually refuse Jesus. Jesus pleaded with his opponents and with humanity, and he asked them in verse 44, How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? 
when we make the popularity and the position and the power games, how appropriate is this in our political moment? When we make the power games the primary driver in our lives that makes it impossible for us to believe in Jesus, and here's why. The popularity and the position in the power games that we all play with our deformed and wounded hearts, Jesus' teachings turned all of that completely upside down. It's like he's speaking Japanese to us, and we cannot understand what he's saying when we commit ourselves to those ways of being honored and valued. Jesus actually taught throughout all of his messages that the way up, the way to true power was actually to go down. Jesus taught that the greatest leaders were servants, that the most wise and powerful were the little tiny short human beings that were just unchecked. Children were the way into the kingdom, Jesus would say. Jesus taught that power comes through weakness, that those the world considered outcasts were actually insiders on the kingdom. Jesus taught that outward beauty, body image, appearance was nothing if the inward heart was still wounded and ripped and torn by the fallenness of our sin. And so, in almost every single way that our fallen hearts and that this world seeks to honor and elevate each other as we give glory to one another and receive glory from one another, in almost every single way, Jesus said, my kingdom is the exact opposite of that. (laughs) It's the exact opposite of that. What everybody's clapping and applauding and fighting for and pushing each other around for, my kingdom is the exact opposite of that. And we're all like, what did he say? I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. And for those who refuse him to the end, those teachings are just too extreme. God will always come to us and reveal where we're seeking honor from this world above himself. Always. He's merciful. Always. And every human will have a definitive moment over and over and over where they either say, no, I think honor from other people versus what God wants to do in my life is more important right now. Some, though, many through history have said, okay, I'm going to listen to Jesus. What he's saying is ludicrous, but it seems to be a way that I want to follow. I'm going to adopt the ways of Jesus. I'm going to follow this upside-down kingdom. I'm going to embrace it and give myself to it. And it's often those, maybe this is you today, maybe those that feel like you're the one that's been outcast. Maybe you're the one that feels, man, I'm impoverished. I'm poor. I'm the one that's unseen. I'm the one that feels ugly. I'm the one that feels alone. It's that community of humans who are usually the first to say, I give myself to Jesus. Why? Because his teachings lift up and dignify everything that this world casts aside as meaningless and worthless. And when the poor and the unseen and the ugly and the hurting and the lonely hear the voice of Jesus, they find themselves saying, that's a voice that values me, and they easily give themselves over. But for us, for most of us, speaking of myself in particular, it's much more difficult for affluent, healthy, modern San Diegans to receive the teachings of Jesus. Why? We unconsciously base our lives on keeping up with the Joneses. I'm really sorry if your last name is Jones. I really am. We, we, we unconsciously base our lives on keeping up with the Joneses. Why? Because we can afford it. We can afford it. We have the convenience of being able to try to keep up with the next one to get more than. We actually have the privilege of fighting for position. 
and we have the privilege of fighting for power. And so we're blind to the corroding effect that that has on our souls. But God is merciful. I am not saying that 100% of the issues of our culture right now, as far as the ramping up anxiety, the levels of depression, the levels of discontent and loneliness in our culture right now, I'm not saying that's 100% caused by this idolatry, but I do think it's a pretty hefty slice of the pie. I do think it's important to note that with the rise of Instagram, and social media, instant comparison, glory to you, not glory to you. We've seen a simultaneous correlate rise in anxiety in our culture. We were talking about this just around the dinner table the other night. You know, you're scrolling through Instagram and then you see your friend, quote unquote friend, and something great happened to him. And it's like a lightning bolt goes off in your little chest. Like, ugh, wait, ugh, where's, ah, that hurts, ah. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it trauma. You can call it triggering. The Bible just calls it envy, jealousy, and sin. Jesus said, how are you going to believe if you're going to just commit yourself to receiving glory from humans? This anxiety and this depression and this discontent and this thunderbolts of pain through our bodies when we see an Instagram feed that upsets us, C.S. Lewis would say pain is God's megaphone. That's the dashboards of our souls going off, the car light dashboards going off saying, something is off, something's wrong. Slow down, pause, think, reflect. And remember, Jesus stacked the deck for belief. He put forward these witnesses for us so that even the hardest of heart, even the most committed and devoted to the world systems receiving glory and honor and identity, Jesus, for even the hardest, even now, even now, Jesus would be going after the hardest. He's patient. He is relentless in proving himself if we'll repent. And repentance this morning in this context means this. Repentance is when we radically reorient ourselves around the kingdom of God and God's values. Repentance is the process of in this moment saying, I want to seek glory from my father before I seek glory from any other human from any other thing in this world. I want to seek a sense of his valuing me, his caring for me. That's going to be my primary root. That's going to be my identity. How? The witnesses, why some won't believe, because we receive glory from humans above glory from God. How do we who say, I want to follow the king. I need my deformed heart to be healed. I need help reorienting. Because we all need help reorienting. Let's close with the practices of the believers. The practices of the believers. The first is this. If you guys are taking notes, please write this down. Number one, the believers listen to the prophets of the kingdom. Listen to the prophets of the kingdom. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it's kind of intense right now. There is like this unending cacophony. Cacophony just means a big, loud crowd of, of, of voices, messages, prophets. And they're screaming into our souls. They're the prophets of civil unrest and the prophets of political propaganda and the prophets of social media echo chambers and influencers. And everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, there are prophets with their messages and those messages are shaping our souls. Make no mistake about it. We are shaped by everything we bring into our lives. Everything influences us. 
puts us on a certain course, sets certain trajectories. Everything does. And so in this cacophony, in this huge crowd of multiple prophets screaming at us, persuading us, pointing us to what they say should be right, Jesus still sends his witnesses, his prophets to us, and we need to listen to the prophets of the kingdom. There are, in the wildernesses of our lives, guys, in the wilderness of your depression, in the barrenness of your anxiety, I'm telling you, there are John the Baptist prophets in that desert. And Jesus is saying, listen to the witness of who I am in your life. That prophetic witness, it comes to us almost in whispers sometimes. Sometimes it'll just be like this crazy little conversation you had with one of the members of your neighbor's community on Wednesday night. And there's this this little subtle word of counsel and correction in your life from a friend that wasn't even knowing they were saying anything to you. That is the prophetic witness to Jesus in that moment. And we have to learn how to listen to it and give heed to it. Sometimes it's, it's, you're flipping through your devotion. You guys do this with your, how many of you guys have version on your phones? Every morning I wake up, I'm like, okay, what's the, it's like jackpot. What's the verse for today? <laughs> but that is the prophetic whispers of the prophet. There is the message of John the Baptist. First thing in the morning, whatever that YouTube version uh, verse is, I want to listen to that all day long. Sometimes it's a Sunday morning sermon right out here in Ward Canyon Park really trying to listen to what God's messages are to you. The messages of Jesus' witnesses, they are constant, but they are also drowned out by the loud shouting prophets of our day who are of this world. I just recently read this stat that the average American Christian, please, Lord, don't let this be neighbors, the average American Christian spends about one to two hours a week under the teachings of Scripture, whether it's a Sunday morning out here at Ward Canyon or, you know, a couple flipping, couple of minutes flipping through a version to get, you know, get that verse in and then get off to your day, whatever it may be. One to two hours a week under the teachings of Scripture, being shaped by the messages of the kingdom. Contrasted with almost 13 hours a day consuming news, social media feeds, podcasts, nightly network talking heads. This must be an intentional practice to listen to the prophets of the kingdom. I am not saying that we turn a deaf ear to the news feeds and to our social convictions, to those that we rally behind. I'm not saying we turn a deaf ear. In fact, I don't even think it's possible. I have tried to turn a deaf ear to all that's going on around me, and no matter what, I hear it through conversations. I hear it at my dinner table. I see it everywhere. I don't think we can turn a deaf ear to the day or turn a deaf ear to the prophets of this world, but I do think we must practice a deep discernment around what is actually shaping our perspectives and our souls. What is actually filtering our day? What is actually stirring our emotions? What is actually giving us a perspective from which to see all of this brokenness and woundedness around us? Because I guarantee you, if it's CNN or Fox News, you're a very angry person and hopeless. But if it's scriptures, if it's, a, if it's a community around you on Wednesday night, a neighbor's community or a Friday night, if it's a community that are committed to the kingdom, now you're able to begin to discern that's the voice of John the Baptist bearing witness to Jesus. And you must 
Be intentional about it, loved one. It's a tsunami of messages around us. If we're not more intentional about this, we are being shaped by the world more than we're being shaped by Jesus himself. Number two, second practice, reflect on the miraculous works of God every day. Jesus said, if you won't listen to the words of the prophet, then at least look at the works that I'm doing. Reflect on the miraculous works of God every single day. In the last two weeks, I've sat with people in our church, and they have shared with me how Jesus radically saved them. I was actually able to share with them how Jesus saved me, and every time I tear up. I mean, full-on miracles, young women being brought out of cults, young men being brought out of the gangs in the late 90s to become this gentle shepherd. Undeniable, miraculous works. God is always at work healing Raising new life out of deadness in our souls. He's always teaching us wisdom and maturity. He's always wanting to grant us a little more victory of besetting issues over besetting issues. And these works, we can't ignore them or deny them. And it doesn't have to be the miraculous, huge, life-transforming works. I'm talking about reflecting on the everyday works that God does, like air in your lungs right now. You are a breathing, living being because the creator of the universe worked your dirt and breathed life into you. Reflect on that for one moment deeply. Then methodically work through everything else. The miraculous works of God. The color of green in the trees. The soft hue of blue over our heads. The perfect San Diegan temperature on a Sunday morning to enjoy a good sermon. These are the miraculous works of God. Reflect on that. Reflect on that. In our home, we do a, an ancient practice put forth by St. Ignatius called the examine. But we just call it high point, low point. We sit around our dinner table. Every, we do this virtually every night. Let's reflect on our day, children. To which my children respond, yes, Father, let's. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't do that at all. <laughs> High point, low point. And we literally just go around the table. What was your low point from today? Oh, yeah, that was a really, that was a really low point. Let's reflect. How is Jesus shaping character or patience or how is that going to grow you? Or, or how did you sense Jesus' presence in that low point? And then we share a high point. So like for me yesterday, sick North Pacific swells come in. The waves are looking good at Mission Jetty. I didn't get kicked off of one of the territorial waves. That was like a super, super high point for me. And it was just a gift. Like, this is a miracle from God. A miracle from God. This thing called life. Reflect on this. The very works he's doing. And take time right now, if you've been walking with Jesus for more than a year, today are you just a little more patient than you were last year? Just a little bit. Just a skosh. You, you give one little bit of pause before you go full nuclear. Whereas before you would have just gone full nuclear. Or maybe, maybe today you have just a little, a little more sense of security in your life. Nothing's changed, but you're not letting anxiety drive you as much as it drove you last year. Or maybe you're one penny more generous this year than you were last. One penny. Reflect on that right now because that movement forward is actually the miraculous work of God in your life. Let it bear witness to who Jesus is for you and who Jesus is for this world because inch by inch, like tectonic plates, over the years, you're making progress in his miraculous works and let it witness to who he is. Number three, and we'll close with this, study the word with Jesus, not just about Jesus. Study the word with 
Jesus, not just about Jesus. Bible reading, Bible study, personal, in community, on Sunday mornings, is actually a conversation. Because Jesus is literally alive and he indwells us by the Holy Spirit who communicates with us. We don't study the Bible just for more Bible information. We read it in prayerful communion with God. We don't come to a Sunday morning to kind of check off, okay, I got a little bit of, that was a good joke. I laughed there. And then, oh, that point got me right, oh, that one got me right there in the heart. And now I've got some more information about Jesus. I learned something about doctrine today, and now I'm on my way. No, we come to Sunday morning recognizing the living, breathing God wants to meet with us in community and have a real relationship and communicate with us. I would say, as I've watched the deconstruction of so many young Christians in particular, myself, I've wrestled with this over the years, so many of us, and maybe this is you today, you reach a point where you've been reading your Bible, reading your Bible, you're listening to tons of podcasts, you've got big, thick theology books on your bookshelf, but for some reason, your heart remains the same. You've got more more theology, more knowledge, more data, but you find yourself today more frustrated, and I would say that a root of our deconstruction in the West of Christianity is that we know a ton about Jesus without being with him. We made, as a culture in the West, Western Protestant, evangelicals, kind of this circle tribe. I don't even know how to describe what tribe we are anymore. We know a ton about Jesus. But I think for so many, we are not with Jesus. Guys, the end goal of your apprenticeship apprenticeship to Jesus, the end goal of Christianity, is not just more information about Jesus. It is actually about union with God, oneness, Union with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that like Jesus' opponents, we can come to the Bible and study it and actually refuse Jesus. We refuse Jesus when we come to the Bible and Bible meditation, and we we get upset. We kind of just cast it aside because... We expect it just to be like scrolling through our Instagram feed. There's the information. I've got it. Now I move on. Wow. Bible meditation, though, it's when we come to the scriptures, they're to be lingered over, long and slow, chewed on and applied, literally slowing down. I'm at a stage in my Bible reading now where I'll sit on a verse for a year. One ver- just go back to this one verse, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved the Son, so do I love you, Dan. I've been sitting on that one for years. Not just for information, but so that right now in this moment I can reflect and, and feel my Father saying, as I love the Son, so do I love you. We refuse Jesus, and I love this, when we come to scriptures to read them but not obey. <laughs> I mean, I'm notorious for this. Love it heartwarming, amazing, favorite verse. What? No. Are you? Ah, I don't. Ah. But when you're there and you're confronted with obedience and contour, in, in alignment with the kingdom, now you're in relationship with Jesus. And so to read our Bibles with Jesus, not just about Jesus, means that we have to slow down, be still, open our souls to his presence, and then wait, and then act in total obedience. 
Reading with Jesus instead of about Jesus is a disciplined practice. We practice listening to the prophets, the subtle whispers of their messages from the kingdom every day. We practice the daily examine. I'm going to reflect on the works that God has done in me today. Low point, high point, reflect on it in community. Every day I'm going to reflect on it and give thanks. And we practice reading the Bible with Jesus, not just about Jesus. I know some of this is new to you guys. Our values are simplicity and stillness and spirit. And we're not just hippies pondering our navels. I truly believe that these values are what the church needs more than ever. I would point you guys to our Neighbors Church podcast. Every other week, my wife and I do a a session we just call Contemplate, where we're leading you in... I don't, we call it deep reading, where you slow down and you take one passage and you meditate on it. Lectio Divina is what the ancients called it, where you let the words rise up and shape your soul and you live in this communion. And yes, you have to wake up earlier. Yes, you have to set aside time for this. Yes, some of those meditations are 20 minutes long. Yes, you're going to find yourself in the middle of the meditation going, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to get after that, I got to do this. Read your Bible with Jesus, though, and I guarantee you the rest of the day and the rest of your soul will be shaped with the contours of the kingdom and the anxiety will lessen and the patience will increase and all of these things will bear testimony to who he is. These are obviously crazy times. And what Jesus has done for us is he's offered us layers of testimony, witnesses, every day to who he is that we all might believe more firmly. Let's practice Listening to the prophets of the kingdom, open your ears, practice the daily examine, reflecting on his works as testimony to him working in you and working in others, and then let's learn to study the scriptures with Jesus and not just about Jesus. As we come to communion this morning, Jared, you can come on up. I think that there's a kind word for all of us. To reflect on. It's going to be very counterintuitive. Jesus says, you do this, you do this, you do this, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I think the Spirit would invite us this morning to just reflect. Where right now am I refusing to come to Jesus? Is my value right now more rooted in what people are saying about me? Where I live what kind of education I have, what kind of circle of friends I want run in, where my career path has taken me, or is it rooted in the fact that right now God has bent all of creation, sent this very soft breeze on a Sunday morning to say, come to my son to have real life. Come to Jesus. Know that you are loved, so loved that he would die for you. And repent. Reorient your life. If you are never known, if you never have a place of power, if you never live with that community of friends that you think is so important to live in the midst of and receive applause from, if you can be filled with the love of Jesus, you can be more and more satisfied, more and more at peace. Right now there are, I believe, whispers of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to Jesus' love for you. And he gives us this opportunity to receive or refuse, literally, in this moment. We can either receive or refuse. That's the great dignity that God has given humanity. We can receive or refuse.
these weighty witnesses, they are whispering in the midst of all the chaos of our personal anxiety and this social, societal splintering that we're seeing. And so don't allow this time to pass as we come to communion this morning. What I would invite you to do is during this first song, my wife will be up here. We have communion here for you. You can come forward. You grab uh, the little package and take it back to your seat, and then I'll come forward and lead us in a closing meditation. But as we prepare for communion, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, where am I refusing Jesus today? And just come to his love. Father, as we begin to sing to you now, I trust that you have done the work that needs to be done in our souls. And so we lay everything down before you and come to you. You are our source of life. You are our source of love. And the cross proves that you love us. Your death and burial and resurrection proves that you have given all the kingdom to us if we would but hear your voice. Help us to to drown out the prophets of this day and age with all the anger and rage and just be filled with love that we might love the people around us so well. Just soften us, Lord. Just as a way of embodying our our openness, I would invite you to stand and hold your hands out and just take a big, deep breath down into your bellies. You can go ahead and stand and just open your souls. I don't want to rush past this. I want us to recognize that right now we are with Jesus with him in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to us. He's been waiting for us to just listen. Bring your doubts. Open those doubts to Jesus. Bring your pain to Jesus. Bring all that need to control to Jesus. Bring those moments where you feel like you've been shamed or outcast to Jesus and hear him say, you're an insider in my kingdom. Bring that guilt of wrongdoing or the shame of just feeling like you're wrong and see him and hear him saying to you, I give you life. I am your life. I am your security. I am your peace. Let's sing.